Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. And for the last year and a half, I've worked diligently on starting a new business all around helping women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I wanna welcome this week's guest, Ali Webb, to our show today. Ali is a serial entrepreneur, New York Times bestselling author, and co-founder of Drybar, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. She recently signed on as a president of Canopy, where she's helping them transform the modern humidifier. Ali has also co-founded three more companies, the massage company Squeeze, a new talk therapy experience called OK Human, and an accessible jewelry business called Beckett & Quill. We'll talk to Ali about the many transitions in her life, from dropping out of college, to going to beauty school, despite what others thought, to being a stay-at-home mom, to then building her massive empire at Drive. Bar. Despite all the success that Ali has had in her life, we have a very vulnerable conversation and talk about the difficult moments and how she tackled depression and heartache and how she's now transitioned into the new chapter she's in today, both personally and professionally. We hope you enjoyed this very wide ranging interview with Ali and my mic, unfortunately, in this interview had some technical difficulties, but the content is still amazing and I hope you enjoy our conversation together. Welcome to the show, Allie. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Well, there's so much I want to talk to you about. You've been someone who's been on my radar, so I'm glad you're here. And I'm going to try to pack in as much as I can in the hour about your amazing and inspiring life. So let's jump into it. So I'd love to actually start with your life growing up. You know, I know you came from a family of entrepreneurs and later on in your life, you went on and built Drybar as your first business. But a lot of people would be surprised to hear that you didn't think of yourself as entrepreneurial growing up. So can you talk a little bit more about that and younger, Ali? Yeah. I mean, I grew up in in an entrepreneurial environment with my parents owning their own stores and my dad's parents owned his own business. So I guess it was kind of in my blood. My mom always wanted to be a school teacher, but ended up in like jobs and definitely wasn't an entrepreneur. But So I don't know. It just didn't hit my radar. And even though my parents had these little like kind of older ladies clothing boutiques in in South Florida, and my brother and I reluctantly worked at those stores for years, I was just really kind of like lost and in the clouds about what I was going to do with my life. And it's funny because in contrast to that, I have a 17-year-old son and a 14-year-old son. My 17-year-old is so entrepreneurial and it's very similar to, I think, how my brother was, you know, Michael, who's my business partner in Drybar. Michael was always coming up with ideas and had all these little businesses all the time. And it just was, I never thought about it. It wasn't that interesting to me. And it's funny to see how my my son now is like my brother was. And I, I'm more like my younger son, where it just I just didn't think about that kind of stuff. And it really wasn't even until after high school. And I think growing up in South Florida with all the humidity in the air and my super curly hair and not knowing how to deal with it, like I was very concerned with my hair most yeah. of my life, which obviously is foreshadowing for what ended up happening. But yeah, the entrepreneurial bug was like never anything that hit my radar. And even though it was all around me, which I think 
obviously served me really well later in life and that I had that kind of education and foundation of being an entrepreneur or like growing up around entrepreneurs. It didn't really hit me until I was much, much older. And even after I went to cosmetology school and became a hairstylist, you know, I still had no, like it didn't even hit my brain to think I should start my own thing. I did have a a small business, a dog walking business when I lived in San Francisco after I had gone to beauty school and was doing hair. You know, I think that's maybe when it started to creep in for me, this like desire to work for myself because I had always worked for other people. But I was definitely that person at most jobs that was like kind of annoyed all the other employees because they're like, why are you working so hard? Like, why are you doing so much? Where it was just like, oh, that's just... The mentality I grew up with, my parents, it was just like, you treat it like it's your own. That was just always in my blood. And so that, but again, it didn't, it wasn't until later in life that I really started to think about having my own thing and working for myself. It was not as a kid by any means. Yeah. And going back a little bit, you know, you mentioned a few things. You were very lost. I think a lot of people listening can resonate with that. You know, when you're 17, 18, you don't know what you want to do in your life. And breaking the expectation of what others have for you is never easy, right? You said your brother is very entrepreneurial, had always that knack, did well in school and business. And you decided not to follow your family's footsteps. And as you mentioned, you know, you ended up going to beauty school. Were there any fears that came up for you at the time, kind of being like this, quote unquote, the odd one in the family and what you wanted to pursue? Sue? Yeah. I mean, it was, I was definitely the oddball and the like, my parents, I mean, gosh, I mean, it's like, I shouldn't even say this out loud, but it was like, I think there was like this hope that I would marry well. Like, can you mm. imagine? But it was also a different time. I mean, I'm about to be 47 years old. I definitely didn't appear very driven back then. I don't know that I was, but I was very, um, yes, to answer your question, yes, there probably was fear, but I think I always had this, everything will kind of, be okay and work out the way it's supposed to. And I I suppose you could call it being naive. And I think I had my head in the clouds a little bit. There was kind of this joke in my family, even my extended family, like, oh, everything always works out for Allie, which I always thought was weird because I was like, I feel like I'm always like struggling and trying to figure things out. But there wasn't a lot. I mean, there was like a looming fear, I guess. But more than that, there was more of a like, I'm going to figure something out. And it's funny looking back because I've always been so one track mind when there's something I want. And back in my early twenties, I, you know, I wanted to go to beauty school. I wanted to learn how to blow out my own curly hair. And that was really the impetus for going to beauty school. And then I wanted to move to New York city because I wanted to work in fashion, in hair and fashion, editorial, that kind of stuff. And so that was all I focused on. And it was a pretty clear focus. And then I got the bug to like, want to start a family and I really want a baby. So then that became my focus. And, and that was kind of the guiding light for me was I kind of always, and if you go back to when I was really young, like I wanted to be a professional tennis player. And so that was what I put all my time into. So I've always been very (laughs) clearly focused on the thing that I wanted. And back then when I think when everybody, or not everybody, a lot of people were very focused on their careers. I was like focused on finding a husband and having kids. That's really what I wanted back then. And so I think that it didn't leave a lot of room for fear or distraction because I knew what I wanted. And then I would get the thing that I wanted. And then I was like, okay, what do I want next? You know, And that was kind of always how I did it. And frankly, it's probably how I operate today too. I mean, anybody who's close to me and knows me, if I get something stuck in my head that I decide that I need or I want, there is pretty much no stopping me. And it's a myriad of things. So I think that that's just always been 
my guiding light, like what scared me all these years. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And like, as we unfold your story, like you said, you've always had that strong feeling towards what you wanted, which I really appreciate because I think it's taking me time to really connect with my intuition. And now I'm laser focused and no one can get in my way, but I really appreciate That's the best feeling. it's the best. And I wish that upon everyone listening and who cares what people think, go after what you want. It's so yeah. much more fulfilling. And despite you jumping around a couple of years, you still were going after your interests. And, you know, I'm curious, you finally finished beauty school. You mentioned you've always had this fascination with hair and blow drying, but you ended up leaving that world and jumping in to PR. So I'm curious, what was the motivation for you to take that leap? And how do you think that really has shaped the woman you are today in your career now? Yeah. I mean, I think that I, you know, I think it's like the building of something, right? So for me, it was like, I was really excited to learn how to, you know, I mean, honestly, I mean, I'm, I say it kind of flippantly, but I really did want to understand how to blow out my own hair because this was the thing that I had to live with every day. And I didn't like the way my hair looked curly and I couldn't afford to get it blown out all the time. And so I really wanted to learn, you know, and I went to beauty school and I learned and I did fall in love with hair. And, and, and really I loved getting through a haircut to do the blowout because that was the most exciting and what I really loved about doing hair, which is also why I thought there was a career for me in editorial and fashion shows because there was styling. But I think the reason that I then jumped into the next thing was because I was like, I feel like I did it. I went to school. I built a career. I got some great jobs. Like I did the thing. And I think that I felt like, okay, I want to do something else now. I wasn't feeling as fulfilled in doing hair in that way any longer. And my interest shifted. I grew and I changed, which we do throughout our whole lives. Right. And so I had serendipitously met a couple of girls who worked at Rogers and Cowan and they worked actually in the fashion department. And they would just talk about their jobs and what they were doing. And I thought it sounded cool. And I was like, I, I think I want to try that, you know? And I, because I didn't go to college, I basically, I feel like living in New York City was like my college education and building dry bar was very much an education. You know, my friends were doing cool things. They were working at Rogers and Cowan with all sorts of interesting people and celebrities and fashion designers. And I just was enthralled with that. And so I was like, a good friend of mine was like, I think there's an opening in the music department for an assistant. And I was like, Oh, I, I want to interview. And I interviewed with the guy who ran the music department who had clients like Paul McCartney and Janet Jackson and Jennifer Lopez and Faith Hill. And I was like, Oh, this is so fun. And I had never had any real interest in music, but it was just this other fun thing to explore and to learn. And the big learning at that time of that job was like, I all of a sudden was like sitting at a desk and I'll never forget walking in, being guided to my cubicle and sitting down, but I loved it. I was like, oh, this is an office job. This is so cool. You know, and I had my own little desk and like we all, uh, the girls who sat next to me became my, my best friends and we had such a good time together. And I learned how to write and I learned professionalism and I learned how to like reach out to people in a professional manner. And, and you know, my boss, Paul, taught me a lot about writing, which would then serve me much later in my life because it was that skill set that I had never learned or had any experience or, you know, any engagement with. So again, it was just this fun thing that I did for a couple of years that I really loved. And I did meet Cam, my ex-husband, when I lived in New York City. And then he worked in advertising, which of course would be very important later. And we moved to the West Coast. And then I started having kids. And that was like what I wanted to do and became a stay-at-home mom and thought that's what I wanted to do because that was the next thing I wanted to do because the PR thing lasted a couple of years. And then I was like, 
again, ready to move on, which has always, again, like I mentioned, it really has always been that thing for me. Like I'm going to keep jumping around or moving around and following the thing that I love and trusting my path. And I, I don't think I could have articulated all of this back then, but that's what I did. I went from whatever was like bringing me joy and happiness. And if it wasn't, I was pretty quick to say, okay, I think it's time for change. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness, and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long-term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds, freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now, anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening listening. And now let's get back to the show. Yeah. And you mentioned the next phase in your life, you wanted a family, you wanted to be a stay at home mom at the time. So you and your husband, or your ex-husband, excuse me, made these two beautiful sons. So I'm curious at that point in your life, what were some of the highlights and maybe some of the the lower moments in that phase of your career? Because so much of Drybar kind of came from that moment. Yeah. I mean, I was really 
over the moon, thought I had like hit the jackpot with being able to be a stay-at-home mom and not work in a traditional job. And when my son Grant was born, he really was, it was a very like euphoric, just magical time. I mean, I really loved it. I loved being a mom. It was like a good couple of years where I was still, I could not believe like I made a human, like I was so enthralled with the whole thing and he was such a good baby. And he, and I just, you know, I was so happy. I loved our little life and our routine. And then, you know, I was anxious to have another kid and we had our second son and it, it changed a lot. It was definitely harder. And I think that I, you know, I didn't expect this to happen, but I got this itch to like start doing something in a different way for myself. You know, I loved being a stay-at-home mom and I and I ended up being a stay-at-home mom for about five years, which anybody, again, who knows me now would probably think that's, they can't believe I did that because I'm so driven and work and I love work and I love all that. But that was the thing for me at the time. And, and then I, once I really did start to get this desire to get out there and do something for myself in a different way again, I got very focused on that. And what does that look like? And I did explore a couple of things and nothing was quite right. And I was trying to figure it out. And, you know, I kind of went back to my roots on this. I'm pretty good at hair. I'd spent a good amount of time doing hair and I bet I could, you know, go back to my roots, no pun intended, a little bit and start <laughs> doing blowouts for women in LA at an affordable price as like a little side hustle. Because at that time I was like, I had two kids. I couldn't afford to have a nanny full time or to put them in preschool full time. So I was like, how do I manage this new mom pace with like trying to work? And so having a mobile blowout business seemed like a pretty good idea. And I had the insight of thinking of putting myself in the position of like, what would I be able to afford? And it it wasn't a hundred dollar blowout, but like a $40 blowout once or twice a month seem reasonable to me, like as something I could afford with basically just my ex-husband's salary. So that's the idea. And that's how the mobile business straight at home started. It was like, oh, I'll come to your house while your babies are sleeping and do your hair. And that was it. And and I did that what the first like I'd say like six months of doing that. Again, it was like building that business was really fun for me. And I posted all over town and mommy groups and this was a while of many, many years ago. It was before, I mean, Instagram wasn't that big yeah. of a deal yet. It was like Facebook and there was a peach head. It was called peach head. It was this mom resource for all these moms in LA. Anyways, I just started posting all over the place and I started getting calls and started getting really busy. And that was a really exciting part for me was building that business and building up the clientele. And then, it, you know, it got to the point where I couldn't handle the demand anymore. And that's when the idea for dry work really came into play. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, you mentioned you started as a side hustle. Two kids was a lot. You wanted to get back in the world, have adult conversations, do something on your own that was flexible. And at what point were you like, oh shit, I'm really onto something. Like what was that aha moment that you realized, let's take this to the next level? Because that wasn't the intention, I believe, when you were initially going into it. No. Yeah, no, it wasn't. And I did come to a bit of a fork in the road. It's like, do I want to build this thing mobily? Because I was really having to say no more than I was able to say yes, because I really only had like a few hours a day to do this. So it was like, I could go to two or three, maybe four women's homes a day, which was nothing. And obviously I really wasn't making very much money between gas and whatever, but it wasn't about the money. But I did realize like, maybe I'm onto something and maybe there's an opportunity here because of this affordable price point to have a place where women come to me instead of me going to them because I didn't want to bring on other stylists and I I wanted to control the experience that was going to be my name. And so I started thinking more about it and talking to, 
you know, my brother about it and and Cam, my ex-husband about it. And Cam loved the idea from the jump. You know, he was like, I feel like you get your nails done once a week, but I rarely notice. But when you get your hair blown out, because he knew my curly frizzy hair. He was like, it's the first thing I notice. It's, it's really impactful. He's like, I think that this can be the next nail salon. So he really believed in it. My brother like took a little bit more time. His wife has stick straight hair, like the hair of my dreams. And so he was like, Sarah doesn't blow out her hair. I'm like, Sarah's like the 1%. It doesn't count. And so I got him more comfortable with it. And I thought, I really think that I could bring enough women in LA from my network, from my straight at home business and make a decent business of, of instead of me going to women's homes mobily, they would come to a brick and mortar. And we all thought it was a good idea. It was a risky idea. And I wanted to keep the price point in line with my straight at home price point. So it was like, how do we make this work? We decided $35 a pop because I really wanted this to be accessible. You know, it was like there was tons of hair salons who were doing 80 to $200 blowouts. That was easy. But women weren't doing that because it was too expensive and cost prohibitive. So I was like, I think that if we can keep the price point really low, women will come and do this very frequently, not just for a special occasion or whatever. And that that was really what my brother thought. Like women are going to use this because when they have an event or a special occasion, wedding, whatever to go to, they're not going to do this on like a Monday at nine o'clock. I'm like, well, I actually think that they might if the price is right. My hope and my vision and dream wish was that women would come in pretty regularly as a pick-me-up as like, you know, I have a date tonight or a job interview, or I just want to fucking feel good about myself. And the power of hair is pretty strong. So that was the hope. And whether that was going to work or not was a pretty big question mark. So that was a really like scary time. And and we were also in the middle of a recession. And I had spent a lot of time, because I lived in Santa Monica at the time, and a lot of time like over on Montana, you know, from LA, you know, Montana is pretty big, you know, shopping Mecca, but it was dead. I don't know if you remember that. In 2008, 2009, we were in a recession. So many businesses had closed. It felt a little bit like a ghost town. And a lot of shopping centers at that time felt that way. And people were like, how are you going to make this business of $35 blowouts work? And I was like, I don't know. I just think it will. <laughs> you know. And that was it. No business plan. Yeah. And what I appreciate, because people always ask, you know, I'm sure you get this question a lot. How did you break out into that first store and then build this massive company? But there's so much that goes before then. You know, you were meeting these women. You knew what they wanted. It built that confidence to you to say, let's okay. do it. Of course, it's still scary, but I feel like you're kind of hedging that a little bit. And I know in another interview, you said, you know, I was scared to open up that first store, but scared enough not to do it. So I yeah. love to hear what that means to you, because I think so many people can resonate with that, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like we can all get really bogged down and scared that we don't know how it's going to go or know the outcome. And I feel like there's a famous quote that you, you know we see all the time on Instagram. It's like, you'll never know if you don't try probably a better quote than that. But like, you, you never know what's going to happen if you don't ever at least give it a shot. You know, and I think that there was definitely fear about it not working. But yeah, to that point, I just really, I felt like in my gut that this was something that was going to really resonate and women were going to really like this. And it was like, we weren't reinventing the wheel. We weren't doing something that was a big risk in terms of like, do people like this? Of course women like it. You know, I knew that. 
I knew women felt better when they would go and get their hair cut and colored and, you know, a professional stylist would blow it out after and like you held on to that blowout as long as possible. Like we all feel that, felt that. So I knew that that was a thing. And if the price was right and the experience was right, that this could really be something. And mind you, I had no idea or I wasn't even thinking about it turning into this massive empire. I was just hoping to keep the lights on and, and be able to like make this eight person chair shop work. And I think I was really bullish on the idea. And I, I felt really strongly like it was going to work. On the scale it ended up working on, I didn't have that insight, but I had a feeling it would work for one shop. Yeah. And you mentioned just taking it back to earlier in the interview in your family, they were always looking at you as someone who always knew things would work out. But, you know, I'm sure there's so many moments in dry bar and I'm kind of fast forwarding a little bit because there's so much to talk about. But are there one or two moments in that massive tenor at dry bar when you guys were building and scaling that were tough moments that you guys overcame that you can kind of highlight and talk about? Because looking back, like you said, it makes sense. All the dots make sense that it works out. But when you're in it, especially being an entrepreneur, and I'm sure people resonate, sometimes you're like, what's going to happen? So I'd love to get your perspective on that. Totally. I mean, we ran out of money before we opened up the first store. It was like we had to raise more money and get really creative with that. And we ended up raising money before we even opened the first store. My brother had basically funded the whole thing and then we needed more money and he didn't want to put in more money because he didn't know it was going to work. And I didn't have any money. Cam and I put in our life savings, which wasn't very much. And so we ended up, we did raise a little bit more money and probably gave away a little bit too much equity. So I think that was like a mistake, but it was like, we didn't know it was going to work. We didn't know it was going to be this successful. So that was really hard. And then there was like, I've talked about it a lot, but, and if you've ever been to dry bar, you know that we don't have the phones in the shops. And that was a whole big thing because it was so loud and crazy inside the shops. And the idea of having a phone in the midst of that and the experience that you would give to people on the phone was horrendous. That I was like, I don't think we can have phones in the shop in terms of like booking, because it's it's like then the person at the front desk, which is normally where a phone would be, is straddling between trying to help the person that's standing right in front of them and then the person on the phone. And both of those people are getting a shitty experience. So I was like, well, I think the priority in the shop is the person standing in front of us in the shop. Because as a person walking into a business, if you're on the phone instead of helping me, it's annoying. And so I didn't want that. So we had to pull the phones out of the shop. And then we found ourselves in like the call center business. It was like, oh, mm, right. I didn't need to be in this business, but we had no choice. You know, it was like what we had to do. And and people still don't like that. And I wish that there was another way to do it. But, you know, gosh, without getting into the logistics, it's like rent is really expensive. Dry bars are very expensive because we are, <laughs> if you know anything about HVAC, it's like between air conditioner and water and the build out. I mean, we're blowing hot air into a space. So you can imagine how much harder an air conditioner system has to work. I mean, which of course I didn't think about any of that, but like, holy shit, you cannot imagine how much money and time we've spent over the years on HVAC because we are blowing hot air all day long into a space and trying to cool it down at the same time. So we didn't have the extra square footage to like build a little office to have people answer the phones in the shop. So we had to pull them out. And like I said, it it always is like a complaint over the years I heard from people, but I'm like, it's just the best option we have. So those are a few examples of things. And there's so many, you know, and as we grew the business and scaled it and opened more and more stores, we found a lot of more like little efficiencies of how to make things work better. And 
but <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of figuring out and I don't know that we've ever figured it all out, but we've made a lot of headway. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah. And I think that's important because people always think like, you know, looking at Ali, she has it figured out with driver, but I think taking it behind the scenes, it's like, we're all figuring it out, right? Like even I'm sure with your new position, which we'll get into as president's canopy, like you're probably still figuring it out as you go at this stage. Totally. I mean, I think that that is life, you know, it's like, we're always in a transition of figuring out what works and what doesn't work. And it really has been an interesting time for me going from being in the day-to-day operations in dry bar and then slowly bringing in a team and we brought in a CEO and we've really built out the team. We, we eventually brought in people to do all the things that I had done. And, and frankly, they did them a lot better. Most of them. I mean, I, I, you know, I think that nobody will ever be able to like capture my insanity of being the visionary of this brand and what I want it to look like, which is impossible. You know, it can never be perfect much to my chagrin, but you know, it's been 12 years or something. And now the company, I'm not involved in the day to day, which has been a really interesting shift over the last couple of years, which kind of coincided with my divorce. And we were all so intertwined. And, and then as I was stepping further and further away from the business, the divorce happened and that catapulted things in a different direction. And so, yeah, the last couple of years have been like of me doing a lot of soul searching, figuring out what's next, what I'm excited about again, what I want to do. And and focus on, which has been a little all over the place again, but exciting less. Yeah. And what I so appreciate about you, Ali, and that's why I wanted you on the podcast, you're very open about having real conversations about everything, which I love. And you mentioned when Drybar scaled, right? You guys were bringing in senior management that were taking on your role. And you were also towards the end of your time there, we're going through a divorce. And you've been very open about that being a very tough time in your life. You were going through depression can you share more about what you think really put you in that position? Because there's so many moving parts in your life at the time. Yeah. I mean, I got married very young and gosh, and you know, it's like getting married in your twenties is like, you just change so much. And I'm sure anybody who's older now knows that like the person you are in your twenties is very different than the person you are in your thirties and your forties. And I commend people whose marriages have withstood. And I think that there is a way. I think that Cam and I were very distracted with, you know, I wanted to have babies right away. So we got pregnant very quickly after we got married and didn't spend a lot of time working on our marriage then. And then we had the kids and then we had the business and distraction after distraction after distraction. And, and, you know, and I think when we kind of looked up, we're like, oh, this may not be the right thing. And it's a much longer conversation, you know, I'm writing my second book right now, which is very much a memoir and like my story really spelled out. There was a lot of distraction with raising the kids and raising dry bar, which was fun. And we were doing it together and we just weren't giving a lot of attention to our marriage and what that needed. And and like I said, once I kind of looked up and took a breather, I was like, oh, we're really not happy. This isn't right and working. And it was a really tough decision, which I'm grateful that I made or that we made to go our separate ways. Yeah. And then, like I said, that really fast-tracked. At the time, Cam and I had shared a creative office, which was like all the marketing and PR girls. And I stopped going to that office because it was obviously too hard and uncomfortable. And and I was at this point where things were changing a lot with me and my role at the company. And so, yeah, I mean, that just started this whole new chapter of stepping further and further away from the business and the marriage. And, and then it was like, oh, I've really got to spend some time focusing on 
myself and being married to somebody and being in that kind of relationship for 16 years and then that ending and now I'm like a single mom and figuring out how to like work that that's when like the depression kind of hit and I was like I mean, a lot of people said to me, which I, I'm sure you've heard, it's like a divorce is like a death. It is a severing and and like a death. And I kind of refused to believe that. And I was like, it's not a death. Nobody died. We're still in touch. But it was, we did have a little bit of a phase where we didn't really talk to each other. And it was really hard. It was hard on the kids. And then once it, I realized, someone put it into me in this way. And they said, your husband, even if you weren't in love with him anymore, held space for you, held an energy for you that is just a black hole basically right now. And your depression, which I couldn't figure out like where it was coming from, which really threw me because I'd never dealt with depression before. I was like, what, why? Like, where, what is this? You know? And the person who said that to me really made an impact. Like, oh, I'm trying to like refill this empty hole in my life, this space that my ex-husband held for so many years. And, and that was really when it's funny, once you can put language and, and a name to what's going on, it's it all of a sudden gets easier. And that's really what happened. And, and ever since then, and, and that, and a lot of therapy, and a lot of time at onsite, and <laughs> all sorts of stuff. I, you know, I started to slowly come out of it. And after about a year of that kind of rough time, I about a year and a half after that, I met Adrian, my now fiance. And that's been an interesting transition too, because he has little kids and, you know, blending our lives and, and all of that. So I don't know if I answered your question. That's that's where I was a couple years ago. No, absolutely. And I appreciate you being so open about that because I've heard you say in some other interviews, like it was at a point where you didn't even know you can get out of bed. And I remember as someone, like you said, who's very solution oriented, it wasn't working for you at this phase in your life. And I'd love to get your perspective on this. You are asking friends what to do. I mean, I know you ended up doing so much like therapy and the many things that you mentioned, but they kept saying like, Ali, go through the feeling. And you're like, I don't even know what that means. So looking back, can you share more? Because it seems like once you did that work, it was one of the pillars to kind of get you over that really tough time. Yeah. I mean, the thing was the only way through is through, which became this big joke to all of us because I was like, I don't want to go through. I would like to go around. Thank you very much. Because I didn't want to sit in the uncomfortableness, you know, I didn't want to sit in the like, oh God, it was just like, I just had to go through it. You know, I had to like sit with the pain and the like, oh my God, this is my life now. It feels really hard. And, and it's hard when you're in that to see the light at the end of the tunnel that on the other side of this, you will find love again. You'll find contentness. You'll find your footing, you know, where when you're in the mud, you don't feel like you're any of that's possible. And that was like the rut that I was kind of stuck in. And, you know, it was like two steps forward and one step back or one step forward and two steps back. It was just this constant struggle and dance that I was in that I, I now on the other side realize like it, that's exactly what it was. It was like this back and forth and back and forth and you go a little bit further and a little bit further and get back again. And you know, it's just this kind of push and pull and, and tug of war really that eventually I got to the other side of a lot of different books that I read that were like, if I could find something that was like relatable to me and what I had been through it. And I remember Miles Adcock who runs onsite and has become a dear friend of mine I remember him saying to me at one point something about, you're in an interesting position because everything in my life had changed. Going from running this big business, being in a marriage, 
having like some focus and a career. And it all changed. It all completely like went away. And I imagine it's like that for a lot of people who get divorced. It's like everything in your life all of a sudden shifts and change. And, and it's interesting. I've watched some of my other friends who've gone through divorce and their like professional life hasn't changed. They've almost like buried themselves more in their work. Like for me, I stopped going to the office I used to go to. Like everything shifted. And I think that it felt like my whole world fell apart in every single aspect. And Miles said to me, you're in an interesting stage because you've built this great business, you've had all this success, and now everything's fallen apart. It feels like kind of lonely at the top, I think was what he said. And and it did kind of feel like that. And I've come to like realize that it's actually not that lonely. And there's a lot of us in this predicament of like, we've done a lot of great things and now our life has changed. And, and what does that all look like? So yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a really challenging time, but I'm so grateful for it. You know, at the end of the day, like I think it softened me in a lot of ways. I think it gave me a lot more humility and empathy for other people and what other people have gone through. And I like myself better on the other side. My older son, Grant, who's now 17, when he was about 14 at the time, and he went through a lot. And there was so much going on with that that was really hard. And all of those things, like, just made us go places and into caves that we did not want to go in, but ultimately came out much, much stronger and much more healed and like open and talked about things that we weren't talking about, you know? So, so I'm really grateful for all of it. And, and I have a really great relationship with my ex-husband now and we co-parent beautifully and, and I'm happier than I've ever been. I'm madly in love with my fiance. And so, you know, it was all worth it. <laughs> Yes, I have goosebumps. And I'm so excited you're writing a memoir because there's so much that I'm sure we can dig into just on this phase of your life. But I'm so happy for you, Ali. And you know, one thing that pops in my mind, you mentioned the divorce softened you. You know, I'm always curious, do you think that building a business like Drybar, looking back, required you to be hardened? Like, do you think you can do the same thing as the softer, more empathetic, emotional person that you are today? Well, I think I thought I had to be this like really tough person. You know, I, I don't know if you're watching, if you've seen Dropout, the movie about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. And I actually read the book a couple of years ago. I've, I've always been kind of fascinated. I would think I was a little bit fascinated because she was like one of the first women I had seen on like a business cover, which I was enthralled with. So I've really followed her whole story. And now I'm watching the show, which is very similar to the book. And not to ruin it for anybody who hasn't watched it, but she starts out like, at least the way the movie portrays it is this like very excited and like, wants to work closely with everybody and really like in the trenches to like, you know, she shifts and into this much like harder version of herself where people are like, what happened to you? Like, who are you now? And I don't think my shift was quite that intense, but I think there is, as somebody who's never been at the helm of a company and a leader and, and like so many of us, you know, I think I felt this pressure. Like I have to know all the answers. I have to tell everybody what they should be doing. I have to be the strongest and smartest person in the room. And all of these expectations that I put on myself that I just thought I needed to have this like armor to be the boss, you know, which I now feel very differently about. Now I'm like, no, no, no. What do you think? Like you tell me, like, I don't need to have all the answers. And I think there's ego too, where you think like, you just have to know everything. And, and I feel like from everything I went through. And I've worked with some of the people that I worked with back then. And they've said to me, like, you're so much different, you know, because I just used to get, and I still can get like this if I don't watch it. Like I'd get really annoyed and really pissed off and think, you don't know what you're fucking doing. And I know what I'm doing. And what are you, you know, all of that to wait a second, let me step back. Let me try to see this from a different perspective. Let me try to be open. 
that's like self-awareness stuff that I think I gained through all the stuff that I went through that I didn't have back then that I didn't even know that I didn't know that I didn't have, you know? And so I think all of that is how I did really soften and just became more open. And also I, I, I did second life podcast a couple weeks ago and, and it just aired yesterday and, and they quoted a couple of things that I said, which with all due respect, I don't remember half the things I talk about in these kinds of interviews (laughs) because I'm just, you know, I'm like, you know, thinking about stuff. Yeah, I'm in the zone. And one of the quotes that they quoted me was something like, what do you regret? And I don't even remember saying this, but something to the effect of, I, I wish I had enjoyed it more because it went mm. so fast. And I, I read that and I was like, wow, that's true. And again, I was in the zone. And so I, I hadn't, after I did the interview, on to the next thing. And I think that that is the thing is that the worrying and the stress that we put on ourselves when we were running a company, we forget to fucking enjoy it. And I was so guilty of that. And I'm glad that I said it and I'm glad that they quoted it and I'm glad that I reread it because it really, it's such a good reminder of like, life is so short, like enjoy the ride. Like it's a journey, not a sprint and blah, blah, blah. We've heard all that stuff before. But I I really think there's truth to that. And like, I am really trying to like, and maybe it's just because I'm getting older and I was younger then, but I'm trying to enjoy it and do the things that I really love. And even in the last like six months, I've been really trying to say no to more things because I went through a phase where I was like saying yes to everything. And then I'm like, wait a second, my bandwidth has gotten so small again. Like I need to like pull back. And I have found that this new role with Canopy coming on as the president, which is such a weird, somebody said to me the other day, like, so you got a new job. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, I, I guess it's a job, but it doesn't feel like a job. I'm working really closely with the founders and I say to them all the time because the company is so early stages that I feel like a founder and I'm, I really am in the trenches with them and I'm helping them get from like point A to point B. And, and I really love what they're doing and I love the company and it feels so good to feel that feeling again. And mm. so I know I'm like where I'm supposed to be, you know, and I think that that's the big takeaway here is like, find the thing that gets you really excited and go do that <laughs> no matter what it is. And, it, you know, in my case, it's not, even though I was the reason that I even got connected to the guys at Canopy was because I was thinking of starting another product line, like a hair product line. And then we had this very fateful conversation. They, they explained the canopies to me and how they're so much different and better. And they think there's an opportunity for this to be the next beauty tool, which got me really excited. And I was like, oh, this is actually where I want to focus. And this is what I want to do. And it's a departure from like anything I've done before, which is awesome, you know, and such a fun opportunity. Yet I have so much experience to like be really helpful to them. So yes, and I'm I'm curious for those who aren't familiar with Canopy, I'd love for you just to share a bit more about why it fires you up and gets you so excited. Because I think you guys yeah. are really disrupting an industry that doesn't really exist, to be honest. Well, they, what's interesting and the parallels to Canopy and blowouts and massages, you know, with squeeze, is that they didn't reinvent. Well, they reinvented the technology, but humidifiers have been around forever. But we all know humidifiers as like something we get when we're sick, or if you have a baby, you put it in the baby's room. Like those are the two reasons that we know. And just like with blowouts, like blowouts have always been available. They've either expensive high-end salons or like the crappy discount chain, not a good option, you know? And so with Canopy, what they've done is they kind of have reimagined a humidifier. So without getting too scientific, I mean, the humidifier that they made, basically it has technology in it. So it it will run until it's bone dry. So there's never water pooling in it. So you never have Hmm. the like multi-gross water, which makes us want to throw it. I've I've thrown away every humidifier I've had because it gets gross and nobody wants to be bothered to clean it because it gets disgusting. 
and they made them look better. And they come with these oils so you can get like a good smell in your room as well. They also have this this LED technology in them that the water that is in them is getting purified before it comes out and it's evaporated moisture. So there's no puddling around the humidifier, like ruining the wood on your floor or ruining your table or all of that. And, And again, it looks really nice. But you know, the biggest thing about it, which was most exciting for me is that there are amazing health benefits, but it's also really great for your skin. And we all want like dewy, glowy skin. And if your skin is dry, it's not going to be dewy and glowy. You know, it's why people who live in like South Florida or, you know, environments where there's a lot of humidity, their skin looks really good and and feels and stays younger looking. And so the idea of having a humidifier going in your house or your bedroom or bathroom all the time and what it can do for your skin and as by extension, your scalp, dry scalp, dry eyes, dry hair, it all really matters. If you have a relative humidity, which again, I know all this now because I'm so immersed in this, like it's 40 to 60% humidity, But from evaporating moisture, it can do really great things for your skin and your hair and your scalp that I was like, this is very cool. And women everywhere should have this. Like this is an essential beauty tool. And so they were just launching Sephora. And I was like, I feel like I can really help get us into the right kind of circles and the right places and and really help kind of beat this drum on this being like a must-have beauty tool. And so that's why I got excited. And that's why, you know, I joined forces with them and I love it. They're great and they're super fun to work with. So I'm happy as can be. Yeah. And I know I was just listening to an interview before we hopped on where you were saying it was, I believe the founders are men. Were they thinking about this beauty angle for women or was it when you came, you kind of had this idea to take it forward in that, that way? Well, what's interesting is one of the founders, his girlfriend, if it hadn't been for her, I wouldn't be talking about this right now. She had one of those old humidifiers that she was cleaning religiously, like spending like three hours every Sunday cleaning this thing. And he was like, what are you doing? Why why do you spend so much time on this? And she said, because I like having humidifier in the room because it makes my skin look and feel better. That's when he got the idea and went to, his name is Lucas. And he went to Justin and Eric, who are the other founders And Lucas happens to be the engineer. And these guys also had this other company called Doris Deb, which they still have, which kind of makes other products. So they're able to use that company also to make the canopies. But yeah, I mean, he said, this is something that my girlfriend is using religiously. Like, why don't more women have these? And then of course, it was because of the bad options out there. So what's interesting, which I actually didn't know until recently myself was like, I was like, were you guys looking for a woman to help with this charge? And they really weren't. They knew though, it was a very serendipitous conversation that Justin, the CEO and I had about, again, when I was trying to find a partner to help me with a product line. And he was like, well, let me tell you about this company Canopy, which I had never heard of, which is great news. Yeah. And he said, you know, it could be, it gave that whole conversation. He knew I was looking for my next thing. And he was like, it would really serve us to have like a woman who really understands the beauty world involved in this you know, maybe we should consider working together. And that's really how the whole thing happened. I love it. So serendipitous. It's so serendipitous, which is really another reason that like, take every phone call, be open. You never know where things are going to go. Yeah, that's really reassuring. And just going back to you saying like, stop worrying about the future, just live in the present. Like you said, keep your eyes open, network, you never know. So just to kind of see where you've landed, because I I know like for a few years, you were trying to figure out your next thing and what was going to bring fulfillment. So I'm so genuinely happy for you. And we'll add all the, you know, where our community can find Canopy in our show notes. But just to kind of 
end the interview, even though I could probably sit here and ask you a million more questions, but I would love to ask you, do you feel like everyone has a purpose in this life? And what advice would you give to people who are struggling to find it? I think everyone has multiple purposes. And I think that that is like a little bit of a moving target. And I think that I'm, listen, I can only speak from my own experience that my purpose and the thing that has driven me over the years has moved and shifted and changed so many times that I I believe that there is several purposes and you just have to like stay attuned to where you're at and pay attention. I think would be my advice to like pay attention to what you're doing. Are you in this mundane routine of going to your job every day and you're not really fulfilled and you're just going through the motions for the paycheck? Or are you willing to like put it all on the line and do something that you really love? And entrepreneurialism that's word, isn't for everybody. And I respect that. I think that there was definitely times in my life where I liked a boss. I liked being told what I, what my priorities were, what I needed to do. I mean, I think I've always been a little bit of an overachiever, but wherever you land on like working for somebody or working for yourself, wherever you land in that spectrum, I think it's like, just do what you love and try to really have enough self-awareness. I think by the way, is the key to life, you know, self-awareness. Like Be self-aware enough to know how you're showing up, how you're affecting the people in your life, how you're landing with yourself, and be always on the lookout for what's missing and what's needed. Yeah, uh, Ali, I love that. You're right. Self-awareness is the key to life. Like once you're able to tap into that, like the world just opens up. So I so appreciate you joining us today. It was such an honor to have you on, Ali. Thank you. It was fun. Great questions. It's a great interview. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.